Bibles and turn with me to Numbers chapter 18. Numbers, the 18th chapter. And once again, we're going to get back into our study of the book of Numbers and looking at principles from the priesthood uh, this morning. Principles from the priesthood. Now, Numbers chapter 18, again, may not be exciting and, and dramatic as, uh, you know, particular chapters that have to do with uh, the parting of the Red Sea or uh, the earth opening up and swallowing Korah and his 250 men of renown who rebelled against Moses and Aaron. But this chapter is still important uh, because it is God's word. It's here for a reason. And when we take our spiritual shovels and we begin to dig through these verses, I believe we'll find a number of Bible principles that are relevant to even us today in our lives. There are some important principles given to us from the priesthood. Now, before we get too far into the message this morning, let me say that a word about this term priests. Uh, We as Baptists have a distinctive that we believe in the priesthood of the believer. Uh, This distinctive is founded upon scriptural principles that God is no respecter of persons. Uh, Romans chapter 2 verse 11 says, For there is no respect of persons with God. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 9, And ye masters do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Uh, Colossians 3.25, But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. So unlike the Old Testament, these priestly functions are restricted to uh, the tribe of Levi. Uh, The New Testament teaches that every believer is a priest before God. And therefore, each believer has a blessed privilege of going directly to God at any time. We don't have to go through another person in order to get to God. We can go directly to God in our uh, prayers under any circumstance to bring a petition through Jesus Christ to God. Uh, Jesus Christ says there is, uh, he is the, the mediator between God and man. And since the Bible teaches that each believer priest is equal with one another, there's no need for really divisional of, of, of terms and titles or garb, uh, nor does it appoint divine privileges. Uh, for example, the scripture does not give a pastor uh, the authority to forgive sin. I had a, uh, by the way, the word father, somebody was talking about that earlier today, but uh, when I was riding with uh, police officers in uh, Indiana as a law enforcement chaplain, I had one fellow that would always call me Father Flaming. And, uh, <laughs> and so he said, how are you doing today, Father Flaming? Well, I said, I'm not your father. <laughs> uh, the only uh, uh, father I am is the father of my daughter, who was also on the police force at that time when, he was, uh, when I was riding with him, Anna. I'm Anna's father, but I'm not your father. Uh, so uh, nobody calls me father, but uh, but my children, they usually don't call me father. They usually call me dad. So uh, anyway, a pastor or, or someone who's called father doesn't have the authority to forgive sin. 
Each believer can act upon the promise in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 where it says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We make our confession directly to God, not to man. So in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, we read, Ye also as lively stones are built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And then in that same chapter, in verse 9, we read, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And again, the, the term holy priesthood refers to New Testament believers. We are holy in the sense that our sins have been forgiven. Hebrews 10, uh, verse 1 and 2 says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the, of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they have not ceased to be offered? Because the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sin. Again in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So in the New Testament, only the high priest would dare go into the presence of God. And then only once a year. And in the New Testament, believers are, uh, have access to God's presence anytime, day or night. Now, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21 says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ, said, Be reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Romans eight sixteen and 17, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And so as we look at this idea of the priesthood and the priesthood of believers, uh, we see that in the New Testament economy, uh, we become priests uh, before God because Jesus Christ made that sacrifice once and for all, as it tells us in, in the book of Hebrews again. But now back in the book of Numbers, even though we're studying an Old Testament priesthood here, there are still some tremendous principles that apply to us as New Testament believer priests. And as we dig again through these verses, I want us to see that there are some precious stones revealed in the riverbed of God's Word. Notice, first of all, the principle of responsibility. The principle of responsibility. In chapter 1, of chapter verse one of chapter eighteen, excuse me, chapter eighteen, verse one. It says, "The Lord said unto Aaron, Thou and thy sons and thy father's house with thee shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary, and thou and thy sons with thee shall bear the iniquity of your priesthood." Aaron and his sons would bear the iniquity of the sanctuary and the priesthood. In other words, they were accountable. They were responsible for the neglect or failure to comply with the sacred duties. Now, as leaders, they were responsible. They were accountable. And those of us who are leaders in the church are accountable and responsible to our assembly and to the Lord. 
Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And so so at at the same time, each believer is accountable for his own life. Romans 14 and verse 12, So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. And the word account there is a word from the word uh, logos, which means what is said, thought, or motives of a person. We will give account for our words. And so we need to be careful about what we say. Let me get to those uh, references there. Uh, Then in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. We will give an account for our work, our abilities, our opportunities, and our knowledge. Luke chapter 12, verse 48, But he that knew not and did, not com- or did commit, worthy of, uh, commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they shall ask the more. And so our accountability to the Lord should motivate us to live godly and be responsible Christians. 1 Peter 4, 5, and 6, Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to to men in the flesh, but according to God in the Spirit. And suffering the consequences of our actions tends to develop responsibility. So what are some of the responsibilities of us as Christians? Well, what does the Bible say? That's always an important thing to look at. What does the Bible say? Not what you think, not what you feel, but what does the Bible say? Notice, first of all, responsibilities concerning the Savior. Some of the responsibilities we have considering our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is we are to be loyal to the Lord. Loyal to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Moreover, it is required uh, in stewards that a man be found faithful. Unfortunately, when duty calls, many are not home. Well, that's kind of an old uh, example, isn't it? How many of you have a home phone? <laughs> Not very many have home phones anymore. Some of you do. Uh, But when duty calls, we'll say it like this, the cell phone's turned off. (laughs) Okay? Uh, We're not available. We ignore it. But it says here, we're to be loyal to the Lord. It's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Secondly, we are to love the Lord and others. Matthew 22, 37 says, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so we have a feeling of responsibility for others is the first step toward unselfishness and maturity. We're to be loyal to the Lord. We're to love the Lord and others. And then we're also to look for several things. What are we to look for? Well, first of all, we're looking 
not to self. We're not to be consumed with self or selfishness. Life would have a whole new meaning when we are concerned about others. Many times we have our problems. We have our trials. We have our difficulties. And we begin to have a pity party and we begin to say, oh my, me, oh my, uh, I'm, I'm having such a hard time. I have such a rough time. And we get worried about it and we get to thinking about it and we get uh, upset about it. Well, what would happen if we would start thinking about the needs and the, uh, of helping others? You'd forget about your own problems and you'd start helping other people. And you'd be much more uh, profitable in your help uh, than worrying about what, what's going on in your own life. Now, there's one thing we need to do is look for sin. Not, not mean, that does not mean we're looking places where we can sin. But we need to look for sin because sin can ruin our lives and rob us of the blessings. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15 says, Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up, trouble you and therefore or thereby be many be defiled. Second John 1 8 says, Look to yourselves, that we lose not things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. You need to look into your heart and your life and say, is there something that's causing the blessings of God to be withheld? Is there something that is hindering my life? Is there a sin that I need to take care of? Look for sin that can ruin your life. And then look to the Savior. We're to direct our focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you could say that the responsibility is my response to his ability. That's what responsibility is. Response, my response to his ability and his will for my life. Again, Hebrews 12 Verse 1 and 2 says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then fourthly, we need to look for the second coming. Jesus is coming again. Maybe today. And we need to be looking for that coming. Just like you look for someone, uh, perhaps who's uh, a relative or a, a son or a daughter you haven't seen for a long time and you keep looking out the window to see if they're coming. We need to be looking for the second coming of the Savior. Philippians 3.20 For our conversation, our manner of life is in heaven. From whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 3.12 and 13 says Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. There's some things we need to be looking for. I hope you're looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ, or at least uh, looking for uh, the rapture, which will take place first, and then Jesus is going to come to earth and rule and reign for a thousand years after the tribulation. But we are to be loyal to the Lord, we're to love the Lord, we're to look for some things, and then 
we're also to uh, labor for Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. We're to labor for Christ. And then we're to laud or praise the Lord. Psalm 119 verse 164. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. Seven times a day. Well, is that the limit? Uh, That's probably a good starting point. But how many of us really think about praising God even once a day? Psalm 67 verse 3. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Many Christians don't praise the Lord and they become distant from the Lord. They feel they have nothing to praise Him about. And that's a tragedy. So we have some responsibilities concerning the Savior. We're to be loyal to the Lord, to love the Lord, to look for some things, to labor for, uh, for Christ, to laud the, Christ, uh, the Lord. But notice, secondly, there's a responsibility uh, concerning the Scriptures. There's a responsibility concerning the Scripture. We're to learn and to live God's truth. You have a responsibility to learn as much of the Scriptures as you possibly can. You can't do that by opening your Bible once a week. We need to daily search the Scriptures. You need to be faithful to the personal Bible reading and prayer. You need to be faithful to the services of this local church because every time you come to this church, you're going to hear a Bible message. I've determined to do that as your pastor. Someone has used the phrase three to thrive. Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening. You're going to hear a Bible message every time you come to this church and you'll be surprised how much you'll learn. You'll be provided the tools to work with as you work and live in this world. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, if you're going to work on a project, whether it be at home or at your, at your job, you're going to have to have the right tools. And you need the tools of a Christ, as a Christian to, to do the work that God's called you to do. Psalm 119.71 says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn thy statutes. Uh, don't be uh, concerned that you get, get trials and tribulations and afflictions. Because you will learn God's ways and God's statues as you turn to God for his answers. Psalm 119, 73. Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. Isaiah 1, 17. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Jeremiah 10, 2. Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen. And be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heaven or the heathen are dismayed at them. We have too many uh, people learning the way of the heathen instead of the way of God, uh, way of the Lord. So we have some responsibilities concerning the Savior. We have some responsibilities concerning the Scriptures, and then we have some responsibilities concerning self. Concerning self. Number one. We're to be lowly. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up, it says in James 4.10. 1 Peter 5.6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he may exalt you in due time. Number two, we need to limit sin. 
Now by this, I don't mean it's okay to sin a little bit. Instead of, you know, sin uh, some, but not a lot. You know, we often think of limit in the sense of doing a normal or even moderate amount. Not too much, but not too little. Uh, We think of it in the sense of a speed limit, don't we? Not too fast, not too slow. And certainly we're not sinless, we're not perfect, but we are children of God and we ought to sin less. We are to be keeping sin in check in our lives by doing several things. Romans 13, 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Do not make provisions for the flesh. Don't put yourselves in a position to sin and make it easy to sin. 1 Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Abstain from fleshly activities. 1 Corinthians 9.27, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Keep your body under control. As believers, we have this responsibility. And then thirdly, we are to leave selfish desires. Leave selfish desires. Matthew 16, 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But we also have responsibilities, not only concerning the Savior, the Scriptures, and the self, but concerning sinners. We are to be lanterns. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 1 Corinthians six twenty. for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Secondly, we are to lead. 2 Corinthians five twenty. Again, we've mentioned this already, but then and now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's sake, or Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Ambassadors are leaders as well as servants. Thirdly, we are to liberate. We do this by telling others about Christ. Of course, we can liberate no one, ourselves. We can't set anybody free, but you know what? We know the person that can, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the person who does the liberating But we have a responsibility of getting that liberating message out. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You see, we have responsibility and, a respons- and responsibilities is a great need in churches today. Responsibility is a great need in churches today. It's a great need in this church. Most want to play instead of preach. Many want to be entertained instead of being exhorted. A large number just want to have fun instead of being on fire. Unfortunately, many will stand before Christ empty-handed because they are not responsible Christians. I wonder this morning, are you a responsible Christian? Yes, you are responsible. But are you fulfilling your responsibility? 
And so that's the principle we find here in, in, in right this, this first verse. The responsibility. Now, secondly, we see a principle of harmony. Look at verse 2. In verse 2 it says, And thy brethren also of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of thy father, bring you with thee, that they may be joined unto thee, and minister unto thee, but thou and thy sons with thee shall minister before the tabernacle of witness. Now, the word Levi, or the name Levi, means attached, or joined. He uses the word there. He gives us the definition right there. That uh, the brethren also of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of the father, bring thou with thee that they may be joined unto thee. Now, even a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Levi and how it means attached. Levi's, our Levites, were to uh, assist Aaron in the work of the Lord. They were a team that was united in doing God's work with each one in his place and according to his responsibility. And the same truth holds uh, for the local church. And so I want to focus on this idea of being attached. Uh, Paul uh, addressed the local church at Rome and said in Romans 12 verse 5, So we, being many, are one body in Christ and many members one of another. As a church, uh, we're, we're members together of the body of Christ in this location. Paul also addressed the local church in Galatia. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, neither is there male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. He was talking to the local churches there in Galatia. And then he wrote to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus, or Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 13. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then he went on to tell this local church at Ephesus in verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now I'm going to say something that probably some people don't like. But I'm going to say it in love and in kindness Because I believe that's what the Word of God teaches. Some people are not members of a local New Testament church assembly of believers. Now I say this kindly but firmly. They are not contributing to the harmony and the unity of a local New Testament church that is spoken of in these verses in Ephesians. They might say, oh yeah, but preacher, listen, I'm a member of the universal invisible church and that's all that's necessary. There is no such thing. It's not talked about in the New Testament. You see, I'm afraid those who say that are misled. When a person is born again, they're born of God into God's family, and they will be in God's family forever. Praise God for that. That relationship will not change. Whether in heaven or on earth, when a person is born again, they're in God's family. 
When they're born again, they enter into God's kingdom, and that relation is for life. And when they die, they pass out of the kingdom of God on earth and enter into his heavenly kingdom. When a person gets saved, it's their responsibility to be obedient to God's word by being baptized and joining themselves to a local New Testament Bible-believing, Bible-practicing church. You see, the New Testament doctrine knows nothing about a mythical, universal, invisible church. And I'm afraid that many that hold to that theory do so to excuse themselves from being faithful to any local church. What is the purpose of a local or uh, an invisible church? You can't see it. What can it accomplish? Christ issued many commands to be carried out by the local church. But an invisible universal something or another is powerless to do that. And we could spend a good long time in this and talk about about that, but uh, suffice it to say that when a person refuses to join or attach themselves to a Bible-believing local church, they're doing nothing for the harmony of that local church. We as Christians are to be in harmony. We're to be united. Notice the unity of believers. We're to be united in speech and spirituality. 1 Corinthians 1.10, now I beseech you. He's, Paul's beseeching who? The local church in Corinth. I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly, what's the next two words? Joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. Now, I want you to notice that expression there in 1 Corinthians 1.10. Joined together. Someone might say, well, that, that means spiritual joining of all Christians. And we must remember the context, though, of Paul speaking to a local church in Corinth. Yes, it is a spiritual joining, but it's also becoming a part of a no, local New Testament church. And this church is not just a social organization, But we have a spiritual ministry and it's made up of brothers and sisters in Christ in obedience to God's word. And we've assembled ourselves together to do the work of God. So we're united in speech and spirituality. We're united in spirit and in striving. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, yet ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now again, the word conversation in the New Testament doesn't necessarily mean what you're saying and talking with someone about. It means manner of life. Your manner of life involves obedience to God's word, which includes being baptized, joining a Bible-believing church. This means being active in that church. And if a person says, well, I don't need to be a member, they're not acting as one that becometh of the gospel of Christ. This striving is not a matter of strife or working against one another, but it's a working together with one another to see that the gospel of Christ is given out and the great commission is fulfilled. Thirdly, united in supplication. Matthew 18 again says in verses 19 and 20, again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, 
It shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I will be with in the midst of them. And that speaks of faithfulness in prayer together. Why do we have Wednesday night prayer meeting? Because we don't have anything else to do that in the evening. Some of us faithful few. I know I'm probably going to step on some toes here. And I'm thankful for the faithful few. But what if it was the faithful many? You see, unless you're sick or providentially hindered, you should be in prayer meeting on Wednesday night. Well, my boss makes me work late. Pray for your boss. We need to be united together in supplication. Fourthly, we need to be united together in stress, suffering, and success. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, and 26 says that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all members rejoice with it. By the way, you go back to prayer meeting, you don't even know who's suffering and who's not if you're not here. Because we pray for those who are suffering. God's people are to maintain harmony in the home and in the church as long as that harmony is not at the expense of the truth. If truth is smothered or ignored, then there will not be harmony no matter what we try to do. We were to try to maintain harmony also by several things. How do we maintain harmony? Number one, we control our temper. There are a number of passages in Proverbs that speak about the idea of, uh, of anger. Proverbs fifteen eighteen: A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. Uh, we conquer the tongue. Many scriptures talk about the importance of having victory over what we say. And many times, many the uh, disharmony and the disunity that happens because people are talking about other people and they're not controlling the tongue. We need to be considerate in our speech. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. And then we need to cease from arguing. Proverbs 20 and verse 3, It is an honor for a man to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling. The word meddling there means to be obstinate or to provoke a fight. And then we need to consider the cause of our actions. Philippians 2 and verse 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. Proverbs 13.10, only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Now that, you say, that's verse 1 and 2, okay? And I'm going to stop there this morning, and we'll continue there, the Lord willing, next week. But I trust you are seeking to fulfill your responsibilities as a child of God. I trust you desire to maintain unity and harmony in this local church. Now, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, I'm glad you're here this morning. But no amount of church attendance or religious activities will gain you a place in heaven. 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 clearly says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And if you've never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, you need to do so today. Someday there will be no opportunities to trust Christ. But we as Christians need to ask ourselves, what are we doing to fulfill our responsibilities as a child of God? What are we doing to maintain harmony and unity in this local church? Perhaps the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning. Maybe it's about baptism, about church membership, something that needs to be gotten right with another Christian brother or sister. Why not take care of it today and have the, the harmony and the unity that this church needs in order to do the work that God's called us to do? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven.